0: This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. You ready? The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell.
1: Virgin Radio Pride.
2: Hello, I'm Emma Goswell and you're listening to my brand new show, The Weekend Outing. And Now, if you don't know anything about me, then fair enough, why would you? I've got a podcast called Coming Out Stories, which has been going on for, a, oh gosh, two and a half years now and it kind of does what it says on the tin, really. I've been across the world and interviewed really... Different LGBT people from loads of different backgrounds and heard their coming out story. And I've been lucky enough to have a book published of the same name uh, with my co, I'm going to say co worker, producer, friend, amazing broadcaster, Sam Walker. Um, and that's available in all good bookshops, just simply called Coming Out Stories. And when I got offered the chance of um, doing a show on Virgin Radio Pride, well, first of all, I jumped at the idea. I'm so excited about what this station is offering. I really wanted to be part of something new and different and exciting. And I believe that really is what we're doing. We're kind of breaking a few moulds here, really. It's um, almost a bit like a merge between a podcast and a radio station, I think, because I'm going to be able to do some really in-depth and brilliant interviews. So I've been doing coming out stories for quite a while, but I thought, do you know what? I'd really like to start mixing it up and doing something a little bit different. I'd like to hear from the people that have been come out too, if you see what I mean. So what I want to do with this program is hear some amazing coming out stories, but then hear from people's partners, hear from people's parents, hear from people's children even. What was the experience like for them when this important person in their life turned around and went, do you know what? My sexuality isn't what you thought it was, or my gender isn't what you thought it was. I am this. This is me. But I want to do more than just coming out stories as well. I want to shine a light on some of those LGBT organisations and pride organisations or charities that do incredible work supporting our LGBT community up and down the country. Not just your big charities like your Stonewalls, but ones you may not have heard of that are doing brilliant, brilliant work to support us. And... I want to shine a light on those unsung LGBT heroes. So, yes, we all know what amazing work Peter Tatchell has done in securing incredible LGBT rights across the decades. But, you know, it's not the work of one man, is it? There are so many people who have fought to get us the rights that we have got today. Time now to shine a light on someone who's been campaigning for the rights that we've got today since back in the 1960s. Need to give you a bit of a warning now, though, because Lucia's story is pretty brutal. And let's just say she pulls no punches in telling it. There are certainly some aspects that people may find distressing and could even be triggering. Please listen, though, because her story is spellbinding and inspiring. So, Lucia, I am thrilled that you're my first guest where we are shining a light on Virgin Radio Pride, on LGBT icons of the past or people that have fought for our rights. Because I know you've done a lot of stuff in the past. It's hard to know where to start with your story, but I get a feeling that there are plenty of reasons why you would have been an angry young lesbian back in the day. Just uh, for people that haven't met you before, give us a a bit of your background and, and where you came from.
3: Well, obviously, with an accent like mine, I am Irish. You are very and, um, <laughs> and back in those days, in in Ireland and uh, of course in England and, and almost everywhere, um, the uh, LGBT community had absolutely no rights whatsoever. When I say LGBT, I mean, mean LGBT plus. We had no rights whatsoever, and in some cases, we were seen as absolutely inhuman and somebody and people that should have been uh, wiped off the face of the earth and knocked away. My my first regulation uh, re- uh, would be the fifties when I was starting to develop a use of reason. Where, I, in other words, I was starting to think for myself. Mm. It was the same in England as what it was in Ireland, but w- with it being Ireland, obviously the religious uh, mm. uh, orders uh, had a, a big hand in it all. But anyway, um, my my uh, grandmother found out I was gay uh, through uh, finding a letter in the school bag. And all hell broke loose. I didn't know I was gay. No one had we, none of us had any words. But I knew I was attracted to women. but, you know, I knew I, I had the good sense to keep that to myself because I had heard uh, this other schoolgirls talking uh, in the classes of, and in the playgrounds, you know, that uh, these kind of people and they, they get put away into an asylum. So I was very up on those places. Oh. And I started to research asylums, not as in research, but just asking people around what happens in asylums and things. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to have to get out of here because she was threatening this to put me away. Because that's what people did in the 50s. They put their kids away into asylums. Not everyone, but uh, a lot of people did.
2: And what did you say uh, in this letter then? This was like a love letter to a girl? It was a
3: little love letter from a a, a school friend uh, that um, I was hanging out with at the time. And uh, it it wasn't really a love, love letter, but it was a little bit obvious she loved me. And I thought the world of her, you know. So we had a little crush on each other and that's all it was and of course I was only young at the time so it would have been a crush and um so anyways I, I got so frightened of being put away into an asylum I still had kind of memories of being in a mother and baby home as a child from the age of nil to uh, five I think I was when I was mm. took out by my grandmother and the idea of going back into an institution for this when I didn't feel like I was uh, uh, you know gone crazy or anything else like that I, I, I didn't feel there was anything wrong with me and I hadn't actually done anything wrong because in them days
2: you didn't think of sex and I
3: certainly didn't I just liked this girl a lot. So all so, you'd
2: done was have a crush on a girl at school and you were convinced yeah, that you were going to be put in an asylum. I wasn't convinced I was
3: told I was going to be put into asylum on many an occasion uh, and that if I didn't mend my ways that was it and along with all that of course you know she, she'd hammer the, the hell out of me. I used to get terrible beating, uh, beatings for it and stuff like that. But anyway, you know, that's another story. But, well, I but that's going to leave
2: you with scars for a long time, isn't it? Not just well, it, oh, it does. Hmm.
3: It does. So I thought the best thing for me to do would be to, to, to run away and get out of the place before hmm. that happens. I thought I'd be safer, you know, uh, not going into one of those places. So I basically ran away.
2: When and she did, was your only family then, was she? She was supposed to be looking after you, but...
3: Yeah, she was my grandmother. She took me out of the mother and baby home. I, I didn't, as far as I was concerned, I grew up thinking she was my mother. Yeah. Yes, and Magdalen Home in Cork, and there's obviously been lots of scandals since then about pharmaceutical companies using the children in there to experiment on. You know, using their tablets and injections and things, and all sorts of horrible things went on. And just lately, yeah. over the last couple of weeks, when when the, a big one at the home that I was actually in for five years. And um, they found a load of um, uh, little uh, babies all buried in the fields out the back. I went back to 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 find out who I was and where I came from and all the rest of it. Mm. And they wouldn't give me my paperwork. So I, I got somebody anyway uh, to, to figure out, you know, how I could get a birth certificate. And I, I and, and I sent off for it just to see what happens. And I sent a birth certificate, came back, but there was, there was just a woman's name on it and no dad. And that was all I knew. And I discovered that the woman on it was my grandmother's daughter so I grew up thinking this woman was my mother but she wasn't she was my daughter but that didn't upset me as much as being put away into a a, 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 what they described then as a lunatic asylum and so I I, I got myself off out of there and I went over I came over to England I sneaked in on buses on planes and trains and everything no no planes.
2: how old were uh, you then ships
3: um, I think it was uh, 15, fifteen, six coming up to 16.
2: So 15, you wouldn't have had any money then, would you? No,
3: I didn't. No, no, I robbed, I robbed a fiver out of, out of the drawer where uh, my mother used to keep a purse.
2: So you ran away to another country with just a fiver?
3: Just a fiver, yeah. God. Yeah. And That's um, brave.
2: Well, I, I, if, you,
3: if you were going to be put into a, a, what they described as a lunatic asylum, what would you do? Yeah. You do the same, and a lot of yeah. kids did, I discovered, when I finally uh, landed on the streets of Manchester. I, I found out that there was quite a few Irish girls, one in particular is already uh, uh, ran out of the asylum uh, because she'd had a lobotomy, and she, she was in a shocking state.
2: She'd actually yes. had a lobotomy?
3: Yes. And she'd this was act- in
2: Ireland, or she'd had it in England? She had it
3: in Ireland, and she managed to get out of the asylum. She managed to escape out of the asylum. But she'd already had the lobotomy. When I first met her, I knew that there was something wrong, but I couldn't make out what it was. Mm. And I knew that she was, you know, a really cool, easygoing, nice person. But there was something sort of wrong, you with me. And all the Irish kids stuck together in them days. You with me, indeed, lesbians from all over the world stuck together in those days, you know. Mm. But in particular, the Irish in England, as you probably remember. Anyway, to cut a long story short, she told me about it, and then I realized how lucky I was and that I'd made the right decision to get out of there.
2: Yeah. But So, just to um, explain, if anyone doesn't know what lobotomy is, they definitely don't take place anymore because they're recognized to be such an awful medical practice. They literally take out part of your brain, don't they? They do, yeah. Uh, normally for psychotic patients or people they with do. extreme mental health issues.
3: Correct. Back the story, the of course, yeah. the story, of course, doesn't end there with me no, and the no. because, um, you know, I, 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 I managed to keep myself clean, kept little washing up jobs as we all did back in them days. And we used to sleep. I won't tell you where in a certain part of town that we all felt safe together,
2: et cetera, et cetera.
3: Well, you were sleeping uh, on the
2: streets of Manchester, though,
3: weren't you? We were, yeah, but we were hidden in the evenings, I can assure Mm -hmm. you. In the daytime, if you didn't have a little job, you could sleep in a doorway and nobody would know what you were in under a coat Mm -hmm. because the sun is warming up, you see, because in the night you'd be freezing, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, in in the place where we were. I won't say it, you see, because I think a lot of kids do the same thing that run away today. They sleep in certain places where they feel safe, you know, and then if they can't... uh, get uh, the the means to wash themselves uh, like we did back in the day and keep themselves clean so they could get little washing-up jobs to keep themselves from, you know, becoming absolutely desperate.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the sad thing is there are still lots of LGBT people on the streets in not just Manchester but across the country, you know, which is why we need charities like the Albert Kennedy Trust because it's still happening, sadly. People are running away because they're gay or or trans. Yeah.
3: yeah. It, it is still happening. You're absolutely right. And I find that quite heartbreaking, mm. you know, and I do flag that up everywhere I go, you know, yeah, because a lot of housing associations do have uh, places for young people to help them to get a little uh, start in life. And there's other organisations helping them out as well. So, you know, um, a lot has moved on since then, but it wasn't without a good push, do you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Back, back to your story, though. Um, mm. So at this stage, you're living on the streets. You never made any... Attempt to contact your family back in Ireland and they never made any attempt to find you, did they?
3: No, no. Mm.
2: They did uh, They did back in the 80s, the attempt.
3: But um, I didn't want to know. I, I gave it a little go uh, for a couple of uh, weeks in the 80s when I went home to, the, the one of them got in touch with me
2: mm. uh,
3: through my birth mother, I think. And uh, to cut a long story short, I, I left it again after a couple of weeks. I was gone. I couldn't take it. Mm. you know because the same old stuff was coming up you know so anyways um I, I I was that was only a couple of weeks
2: yeah but so you're on the streets it's probably what the beginning of the 60s by now yes yes and but did the authorities or nobody try and pick you up or you mean you're a child living on the street did nobody try and rescue you well uh, the thing was uh, people didn't know we were on
3: the streets because if mm. they did you'd be put away and you might never see the outside of anywhere again once you were put away, and because you wouldn't dare. Uh, a lot of us in those days didn't say who our parents were because a lot of the kids that I knew back in those days, they were all running from abusive uh, families mm. or a person in the family you with me uh, abusing them in some shape way, or form. Mm. So we all kept our heads down, as they do today. Mm. If a lot of them, you find a sofa sofa surfing with people for an abundant amount of reasons. You see, children never walk out a front door for no reason. There's Mm. always a reason. Mm. Let's put it that way.
2: It's a tough upbringing, isn't it? Well, you just it's had a... to bring yourself up, basically, by the sounds of it. And yeah. um, and then you ended up running into the law again a few times, I think, didn't you? Yeah, I did.
3: Yeah. I, what happened was I was uh, going home one night and someone, I'd seen a bicycle on the side of the road, basically, and I hopped up on it. I thought, i would get home now. This this was when I was uh, sofa surfing. And uh, anyway, uh, I, the police pulled in alongside me and said to me, uh, I'd stolen the bike. And I said, I haven't. I found the bike. And I was just, you know, they, they wouldn't believe me. But anyway, then they started digging and they realised uh, that um, I had uh, no fixed abode. I didn't want to give my friends um, address away, if you understand me. Yeah. But I had to in the end, because what happened was I found myself uh, up in court. And when I went uh, into the court, I had uh, 50, I think it was 54 or 50 something charges against me for petty theft. In, in the whole of that area where I was uh, sofa surfing, mm. yeah. And um, so when I went and to this the court... This was to feed
2: yourself, presumably.
3: Yes. What happened was I had 50 odd charges and, and I had no idea what on earth they were talking about. And even the judge was a bit astounded when uh, I'd gone to court and they wanted to know where my parents was and all this type of thing. And my, so the judge said, tell me exactly what happened on the night, please. So I told the judge that basically speaking, this is the truth. And I told him about the bike and all this type of thing. And I said that, you know, there, there was a van. The only thing I do remember is there was a, a food van and uh, I had uh, broken into it, basically. But it was, again, it was already broken into it. The door was open. I opened it and there was tins of uh, beans and all this type of thing that I had in a bag. And I was bringing them home to feed Mm. everyone in the flats because we were all lesbians living on top of one another in in separate flats in the same house. Mm. So anyway, that's another story. But I didn't rob them. And I've never robbed anything in my life. And neither did any of the rest of the kids on the street because our thing was to keep ourselves clean and get little jobs and try to be as normal as possible. So I ended up getting two years probation for something I never did Yeah. And through that two years probation. um, I was told that I had to go and see a social worker, the social worker. I I didn't know where it was. The social worker came to see me. She decided that she apparently was told that I was a lesbian and she wanted to know what me, what the why I I felt all this and that. And she told me that the reason I'm so down in the dumps and, and, and hacked off and all the rest of it is because all my troubles was down to being a lesbian, and that's why I ran away. So she said to me, did you know there was a cure for that? And I said, no, I didn't. Yeah. And um, so to cut a long story short, she recommended me for to go and see a psychiatrist. So I had to say yes, because those were the terms and conditions in those days for everyone that, went, that was young, you know, that yeah. was LGBT. You were recommended.
2: And you were in the court Uh, system,
3: you had to do what they said, yeah. Exactly, yeah, so you had to play the game because I I did not want to get deported back to Ireland under any circumstances because I knew where I'd end up. However, I went to see the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist's questions were absolutely dreadful. I was a practising Catholic and the things he was asking me was you shouldn't ask any woman those things, especially a young person. Mm. And I wouldn't answer him because I thought he was filthy. Uh, It was about my body and everything else and about being a lesbian, which I knew nothing about. I knew absolutely nothing about being a lesbian. I had no nothing there. There was nothing there. Only what I knew around the Union Pub and Princess Street and all of that. It was for me, it was just a feeling. The next minute he suggested that perhaps uh, he should recommend uh, that my problem was that I was basically a lesbian and that there was a cure for that. And perhaps that's the way I should go and all this type of thing. But that that didn't upset me as much as the dirty questions because I was still a practising Catholic. His cure was suggesting a
2: lobotomy, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. And this yes. was in
2: the 60s in Manchester?
3: Yeah. Yes, yeah. early, late 50s, early 60s. Gosh. Uh, I thought i better get out of there, and I did. I ran, I ran and ran and ran out the door with me, and I was in all these corridors up in North Manchester Hospital. It was full of corridors, and um, I don't know how I got out. The sweat was pouring off me, but I kept running and running and running. I finally found, found a door that I was outside. And I ran like the blazes back to my house, told them all in the place, he with me,
2: yeah. what was
3: going on, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, calm down. Anyway, I did. The next minute, a day or two went, and the next minute, there was a, a knock on the door. Two police women. Uh, I, I, I opened the door, and two policewomen are stood there. And they said, uh, Lucia Fitzgerald live here. And and, uh, and I, I was me that answered the door because I thought I was expecting someone. I mean, I opened the door and I said, no, I said, uh, she's not here. They took one look at me and they must have known I was gay because by then I cut all my hair and everything. And I was mm. what, what they call a butch in those days. And uh, I said, no, I said, I don't know anyone called Lucia Fitzgerald. And I could I kind of sensed they might be themselves. You with me? So they just said, OK, then. So there's no point in this ever coming back here looking for a Fitzgerald." it's Gerald. And I said, oh, because there's nobody that name living here. So they said to me, what's your name? And I said, my name is Angela. So you see, I was called Angela, but they'd never heard of that. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, anyway, they said, OK, no, we, won't, we won't trouble you again. And off they went. And then I had to move very fast. Well, I just moved someone- somewhere else. Yeah, I was ducking and diving. But I wouldn't have been the only one You see, him at the time. There was quite a few of us out there all ducking and diving, trying to keep ourselves from getting into trouble or all the rest of it. It was dreadful. Yeah,
2: but I mean, you were scared. That's a terrifying thing to be threatened with a lobotomy and then have the police chasing you for something you haven't done. So it's a terrifying yeah. place to be. So how do yeah. you go from that position of fear and being victimised like you were to yeah. then fighting back, really, and being a campaigner?
3: it was i'll tell you how it happened i was i was down in one of the gay clubs one night and i was getting to it i mean a lot of us was kind of depressed walking around the place but we didn't know it are you with me you can be suffering from depression and feeling really down and out and you don't realize how bad and how low you are getting are you with me with Mm. the with the with the with the way things were back then because we were treated like as if we were not just sick classisms, but the dirt off people's shoe, if you understand me you know we, we were the lowest of the low uh, uh, type of person you could meet. We were freaks basically we were we were freaks and and we the the union itself back in those days, which was the local gay pub. It was like a freak show. People were coming in to look at us and laugh
2: at us. On Canal Street. Well, if it's the early 60s, it still would have been illegal, wouldn't it? I mean, it wasn't even the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality until 67. So it would still have been an illegal act, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It wasn't an illegal act for women. No.
3: Uh, Because I think Queen Victoria didn't recognise the fact that uh, there could be anything. uh,
2: Yeah, that that is one of the theories. Yeah. yeah. She didn't think that there was no
3: such... but the lads, the lads suffered so much, you wouldn't believe it. And the beatings, I saw them getting. We all got them, even transgenders. We had no name in those days. We didn't know who we only knew there was lads that used to like to dress up as women. You hit me? And that was all we knew. We no, mm. no fancy words or anything like that in them days. And it was just shocking the way everybody was beaten and put down and arrested and then go missing. And all oh, stop. It was horrible altogether. But on a Friday and Saturday night, Uh, And Sunday night in the Union, we'd put on a big cabaret and everybody would uh, show their lovely talents and they'd make us all laugh and uh, cry, if you will, and, and, and all sorts of things. And I'll tell you something else. Some of the superstars of that day, of those days, started trickling in, disguised in there and stand at the back of the room. Oh, did they? Yes, they did. And Dusty Springfield was one of them. Long John Baldry was another one.
2: And they all went to the New Union on Canal Street in Manchester. Wow. Yeah, they
3: did. Yeah, they did. Oh. Yeah, I won't tell you about any other people off of everyone's favourite soap, but we—I'll take that secret with me to the grave. But I knew all the crowd back in the sixties that were, were gay then as well, because they used to come into the uh, to the Rouge Club, which was an underground secret gay club back in the day.
2: But well, I guess yeah. a lot of it was sort of secret knocks and stuff, wasn't it? Because it oh, yeah, yeah. couldn't knocked, be
3: in the open. Yeah. Knocked three times and the door is open. We had a little bear on the door and that is open. I was I I actually got a job there um uh doing the dishes and and, and uh flipping burgers and stuff when I was still only a teenager, just to get some money to keep myself, you know. <laughs> you took yeah. every job under the rising sun mm. and all the um uh, the crowd from Corrie used to come in for a drink because they felt very safe in there because mm-hmm. you know the, there was no one to bother. But I think the police started uh, sussing it all out, and they started raiding the place. I was there when there were quite a few took place. Love, they were regular. It was a regular sport for the for the, the police that uh, hated uh, our community in those days. And what they do is uh, they'd uh, watch someone uh, from, a, from from a car or something. And they'd notice what the code was. Anyway, they got the code and done the knock, and they were allowed in. And then they come in and they arrest, uh, they arrest the lads if they were on the dance floor, uh, for being gay because it was illegal for the lads in them days. They just arrest them, take them to the police oh. station. Some of them we never saw again. Some of them came back and told us they had the life beaten out of them. They'd throw a blanket over you in those days uh, when you had when they had you in the police station. Now I'm not saying all the police stations was like this. But it was a favourite sport. They'd throw a blanket over you so there'd be no bruises on you.
2: Well, you must have all just been walking around in a constant state of fear. and terror.
3: I had a terrible hump on my back at the time from bending, you know, stouching down and keeping my head down, as Mm -hmm. did a lot of uh, people. And I remember Angela Cooper saying that I was in the 70s. She said, you're gradually standing up now. She said, you're starting to straighten up a bit. (laughs) Because I did, I was always hunched.
2: Mm, and yeah. this is your friend, Angela, who, um, well, you yeah. were girlfriends at one point, weren't you? Became yes, that's friends. right. Yeah, The whole thing turned turned
3: around when I went to a club one night and I overheard a group of students. Angela, my best friend today still, uh, was one of those students. And they were talking about uh, an organization called GLF. Uh, I, could, I I didn't know any of them, but I could hear what they were saying. They were talking about um, all I heard was that I understood that is because they were students and they were speaking and that students speak. And, words <laughs> yeah and um all the the thing that I picked we don't have to I heard her saying, we don't have to put up with any of this. We really don't have to, and I believe uh, that if we all got together, we could push back on this mm. and see what happens. And I thought, oh, I thought this is you know maybe something anyway, I just uh, said, do you mind if I sit down, I said, and have a listen to what you're saying? I said, it's kind of music to me ears. So Angela said, yes, of course. So I pulled up a chair and the conversation they were having was about an organization that they were uh, thinking of forming called GLF, which was Gay Liberation Front. Um, Gay
2: Liberation Front, brilliant. Yeah.
3: And down at the university, they had CHE, which was Campaign for Homosexual Equality. But then uh, that was one way of doing it through the government and all this type of thing. But the GLF was another thing. It was more radical. And they were saying, we shouldn't be begging for our rights. Demand your rights, don't beg. Demand them. So I thought, this is fantastic. So I sat down and then that's when the fight started. Ah. That's when the fight started.
2: And what sort of stuff were you doing then that was direct
3: action? Well, the first thing we had to do was make ourselves be known. Yeah, now that we were proud. We decided we we should all be proud of who we are and not be afraid Mm. anymore and stand up to it. The first thing we did was t- to think we need something you know, to, for the, for, to get the media attracted to, uh, you know, our cause. So we went around and painted um lesbians are everywhere. Get over it um, uh, all around the bridges uh, on the way into Manchester and everywhere all around Manchester. We put lesbians is everywhere. Lesbians is everywhere, you see, because um, as far as the gay thing was concerned, uh, it was really men that were going after. Yeah. So we thought, OK.
2: And you must have annoyed a lot of people by doing that, I guess.
3: We did. I'm sure we didn't. So yeah. we're, we, I don't know how we didn't get arrested. I really don't know how we got arrested. But the funny thing that grew out of that campaign was the amount of support we ended up getting from people you wouldn't even imagine. Are you yeah. with me? And it yeah. was then that everybody started to come out of the closet because we drew we drew attention to the whole thing. And, you know... God bless people like Tony Wilson I remember Lucy Meacock was only a young woman at the time she won't remember me probably Lucy but um anytime there was ever a, a little debate on the the, the the pro on Grenada back then I think that was still in black and white um Tony had an assistant and uh, he used to get the assistant to ring the uh, women's Center to plank me and Angela and some other women around in the audiences when he knew there was going to be a debate about and um, lesbians and gays and homosexuals ah, yeah well so you had to we stand were... up
2: to the homophobes on national television then yeah yeah we report, did yeah. yeah
3: dotted around mm. we were all dotted around the room yeah and of course that encouraged a lot of people then you see to start coming out of the closet and giving us a hand and they offered all sorts of little helping hands along the way you know because they couldn't come out because of the seriousness of the jobs they were in and everything else
2: and yeah. did it make a difference, then, do you think, the uh, the paint jobs? You know, it's different to yeah. a, a modern-day Twitter campaign, isn't it, really? Like, physically yeah, Physically painting is.
3: walls and buildings. Well, it started the conversation, and that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to do. It was all about starting that conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and the conversation uh, we wanted to have was it, well, enough was enough. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, we, we started to make a, 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 a GLF, which was the Gay Liberation Front, And of course, halfway through that, we realized that the lads had different needs to us, the lesbians, you with me? Mm. Uh, Even though we'd come together, we still had uh, there was all the sexism. There was the racism, uh, anti-trans, which Mm. none of us felt at the time, you with me. But there was all these things that we didn't know about that, that all these isms. So we all had to learn about that. And um, groups decided at that point to split because the, the fellas was always um, wanting to be on the platforms and we all had to sit and listen in this subservient way, you with me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it wasn't any big thing about it We, because they were lovely lads and um, we decided to go our own separate ways because we felt that our sexualities was different, you with me, and we couldn't okay. all come together.
2: Sounds a bit like the Pride film when um, the lesbians break off and do their own thing, don't they? that's okay as long as you can come all, all come back together again
3: because the sexual every sexuality have to get go away get themselves together figure out what they want for themselves you with me and then you come back together and you fight the powers that be together when you've grown mm. when you've got strength from each other male sexuality in those days was very different because mm. none of us knew you with me and mm. the lads always used to be trying to domineer the meetings because that's what they did in those days you with me you'd never see a woman uh, back in the 60s on the platforms.
2: So what other sort of stuff did you do then? So you had rallies, you had meetings. Did you have marches back then?
3: Yeah, yeah, we did the lot. Yeah, uh, we 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 went to pubs, clubs, and we made ourselves known uh, in the way that we'd sit there and hold hands and wait for the, the, the to hit the fan, and uh, it did. And we'd all have to run like hell out out of the place. But again, the conversation we wanted to keep. We did everything to try and keep the conversation going.
2: Oh, this was called a happening, wasn't it?
3: Yes, they were called the happenings. Yes, so you'd go
2: to a straight pub we go into a Manchester. straight
3: pub yeah about yeah. you know a load of us would go in there and we'd all sit there like as if, we, as if we didn't know each other and some of the women would start kissing and stuff like that or hold hands or when the dance they'd dance close like a male and a female would you know and so we, we were going around shocking everyone because we wanted to shock them into having a conversation we mm. wanted a platform we wanted the media to take notice of
2: us and they did believe me they did yeah and did it ever get nasty at happening? Did people take offence?
3: Oh, yeah. We'd have to run for our lives out of the place and uh, find the quickest exit we had, When you went in there, you'd always check out all the exits. You God. see, before you went in, you really kind of sussed the place out when you were going to do it. Gosh, so you, you see, were being brave, really, weren't you? Yeah, we were. We wanted the public to sit up and, and listen to the fact that we were terribly oppressed. There was nothing wrong with us. We, we have the right to love who we love and all the rest yeah. of it so you know that was the only way you could do it because they didn't want to listen to us they already had a, a their own um vision of what uh, homosexuality was and it was horrible horrible yes. so we wanted to show how normal we were as normal people walk into the pubs clubs etc cetera, etc cetera.
2: what's one of your favorite memories from that time then in terms of you know really, really raising awareness and Changing hearts and minds, do you think?
3: There were so many. There were so many things that we we did. I think the the march into the 80s was the one that I think uh, raised the roof for everybody, you know, when Maggie Thatcher finally decided that we should all go to hell and that she was having none of it.
2: I was just close. 28 March?
3: Yeah. Mm, that, That was
2: huge in Manchester, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. That was huge. I think it's so important for you to tell your story. Because mm. I really don't think that young people will believe the amount of sacrifices that people like mm. you made.
3: Mm. You know,
2: the amount of people that were beaten up, the amount of people that were threatened mm. with lobotomies, that were homeless mm. and that went through mm. all of this mm. just for their rights to be gay.
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we didn't think there was anything wrong with us, you see. And what we were trying to convince the whole of society was to think that there was nothing wrong with us. But that was what That was what we set out to do. To say, look, we're as normal as you. It's just that we love someone of our own sex. And mm. it's as simple as that. You know, obviously it was a little bit more complicated, but we were all young at the time and we just did what we could do, you know, what we knew, that the only thing we knew.
2: Mm. I mean, so really you've been campaigning even longer than Peter Tatchell and, um, you know, he gets all the accolades, but you, you were the people that were doing it before he even arrived in the country. So, you know, we should be thanking people like you from your generation because you know, you paved the way for people like Peter Tatchell and Stonewall and organisations like that, I think.
3: Well, absolutely. And uh, th- them are the same people, you know what I mean, that uh, um, is, uh, you know, kept us locked outside. Are you with me? And stuff like that. I mean, you know, the, I'll tell you what highlights, as is, is seen as you're uh, leaping forward to today. I'll tell you a thing that amused the hell out of me was the 50th anniversary of, you know, the freedoms we, 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 we yeah. were given. The 50th anniversary was the one that did it for me. And as you brought up the past, not me, but yeah, you've woken something up for me.
4: Good.
3: Um, When the 50th was coming up, everyone was saying um, to me and um, various other people that was aged at the time. um, are you going to be, you know, in pride this year? You know, at the front of the march, would it be in the 50th anniversary of uh, pride of of the, you know, the freedom of LGBT? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And I said, I said, I don't know. I said, no one's asked us some Pride. Pride went ahead. And not one of the older LGBT veterans from the old days that fought every step of the way, not one of them was asked to lead the Pride that year.
2: Uh,
3: Could you believe that?
2: And how did that make you feel?
3: Well, it's not just me. There was groups of us around the place that we were, we were all phoning each other saying, "What do you think?" No one could believe it that we weren't even asked, or even uh, if we uh, to 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 be on a bus. Even are you with me? Uh... Given our age and everything, not even on a, We didn't even
2: get a seat on the bus. And we wouldn't have had we wouldn't have had pride without people like you going and doing the happenings and painting. Mm. Lesbians are everywhere on bridges. And so what have you got left to fight for? What are you fighting for today? Pensioners LGBT, the
3: older, older community, the LGBT older community. That's what I'm fighting for today. I'm not even fighting. I'm just turning up everywhere and asking the question, you know, what about the isolation of the older LGBT uh, community? What about people living in in, in uh, the over 50s in places like that for older people? You know, mm. why are the people walking out of the over 50s and, and, and going back into the closet because of the, the uh, horrible way that uh, they're being treated when it gets out that they're gay in the over 50s? Why is there a lot of people in the over 50s that won't come out of the closet? They're going back into the closet because they don't want to be harassed in their old age because they're not able to take it anymore and it has Gosh. a terrible bad effect on them. That's what I'm trying to uh, raise at the moment. You've really struggled yes. in lockdown,
2: haven't you, being isolated, I think?
3: Yes, I have, yes, and and I'm not feeling that great with the dog. But at the same time, I don't know what I would have done without Zoom and support from all my friends and, and, yeah. and people like yourself and stuff yeah. like that, always pushing the envelope and giving us advice. And I want to thank you for that. It's not an easy thing to do. It's a dirty old job, isn't it, Emma? But someone <laughs> has to do it. <laughs> well, thank but you. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm yeah. bothered about at the moment is there's a serious, serious mm. issue about the older LGBT people now all sat in their houses. all living, I'm talking about living in social housing now hmm. uh, because they are the only people I can reach because that's where I'm living in a social housing flat. And um, I'm doing it through House Crowd, which is an organisation that uh, connects uh, people to um, the um, different foundations.
2: Still a lot to fight for, but I think it's fair to say we've got a lot to be grateful for in terms of LGBT rights in 2021. What do you think when you see all of the pride celebrations that maybe didn't take place last year the same as it should be doing and may not be this the same this year either, but when you see all those pride celebrations and you see how young people are treated with respect these days for the most part and get to live their lives as openly LGBT+, plus, what do you think? I'm so
3: full of pride, it's unbelievable. And I love to go down and uh, stand anywhere as long as I can see the whole thing. And um, a couple of years, the last one that we did, um, I, I, I was, um, I, it was from House Proud and we, we got a big bus and I was on the House Proud bus with all the crews and all the uh, and residents uh, plus workers alike. And uh, it was one of the best moments in my life because when our House Proud bus came, because they all, they all know I'm on that and they know I'm going on with myself about the older generation now. And all the, the the clap we got was brilliant and the support we got was brilliant, yeah. And uh, stuff like that. And I walked around there with Angela and we were carrying the house Proud banner for ordinary working people like ourselves to be recognised that, you know, we can't all buy ourselves into these posh places. So we need safe places, for, safe places for ourselves to be able to retire in without fear or foe from anyone now. Hmm.
2: Is that a charity then, Housebound?
3: No, it's just a group of um, uh, LGBT uh, people working in social housing. Uh, they're all out of the closet and they formed uh, themselves into an organization called House Proud. Uh, the, there's House Proud London and there's House Proud Northwest. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, and what we do all do is we get together and have little Zooms up and down the country with everyone, all the LGBT community living in social housing. And um, and we all connect up and say, how are you? What's your housing association doing for you? Are you lonely? Is there anything we can do? Is there anything, you know, you'd like to tell us about your life? You know, we're, we're worried about isolation and loneliness and all that type of thing, you know. Yeah.
2: Fantastic. So
3: you're still yeah. out there
2: helping people and um, connecting oh, people.
3: Too true, too true. I've got someone that can sit around, love. if there's something to be done, I'll get stuck yeah. in.
2: <laughs> so true. You do, don't you? Yeah. And we, we need to meet up. Now we're allowed to actually go out. We need to actually meet up and um, go and celebrate Pride, even if it's on our own in a quiet corner of a pub somewhere. Yeah, yeah um, that'd be and, great, yeah. And uh, drink a Guinness together. I don't like Guinness, love. I'll
3: have a gin and tonic. That
2: <laughs> was the only lash- person that said that.
3: <laughs> would would, would, would Lashen's the voice, please? Okay. It's a deal. <laughs> it's a deal, kid. We're done.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Lucia. It's it's always like really humbling to speak to you, to be honest. Yeah, you're all right, love. It was a dirty old job, but I, like
3: I always say to you, mate, you laugh. Like, Someone had to do it, Emma. Someone had to do it.
2: <laughs> you
4: ready?
0: The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell.
2: Virgin Radio Pride. Can I just say a huge thank you to Lucia Fitzgerald for speaking to me? I can't imagine how brave it must have been to run away with five pounds in your pocket to another country where you knew nobody. Um, But as she said, what choice did she have? It's just terrifying to think how brutal things were back in the 1960s, 70s and 80s and and actually how far we've come. But I think listening to interviews like that and listening to campaigners like Lucia, it kind of makes us realise... We've come so far, but there's still so far to go, isn't there? So I'm really looking forward to every week... Speaking to somebody, I'm going to say someone like Lucia. There's nobody like Lucia on the planet. What I mean is other people who have campaigned for our rights and haven't really been celebrated or recognised for that fact. I'd say that, but actually there has been a short film made about Lucia and um, her first girlfriend Angela. He heard a little bit about there in the interview. It was made in 2018 um, by a filmmaker called Joe Ingham. And it's called Invisible Women. It's only 24 minutes long. I actually watched it when it previewed at Elfest. God, I wonder if that will ever come back. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Anyway, I urge you to go and watch it if you want to find out a bit more about Lucia and and, and see her and um, see Angela and find out exactly what they did because their story has been hidden. So go and find it. If you just go to his website, actually, he's called Joe Ingham. It's spelled I-N-G-H-A-M, joeingham.com. Scroll down a bit and you will find that short video about Lucia and Angela and their campaigning. Time now to hear the story of Alfie, who came out to his girlfriend Rue about his gender identity a few years ago. First of all, can I say thank you, Rue and Alfie, for joining me. And I need to thank you for your hair colour because it's just spectacular. I've never seen such a a well-matched and well-balanced couple. Talk through your hairstyles for me before we get into the deep stuff.
1: So mine is, I've got a mohawk that is like really, really bright pink. Yep. And I have not got a mohawk, but it is bright green slash blue.
4: Gosh,
2: you must get some looks
4: walking down the street. I mean, you just
2: look like an incredible couple.
1: Yeah, but I think people are just jealous that we just look so good.
2: Well, of course they are. Um, Now, Alfie, we have talked before and I've heard your coming out story and you are, well, this is interesting, actually, because when I first interviewed you, um, you identified as a trans man. And I think that may have changed slightly over, over the last year or so. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so um, I guess trans man's still okay. I prefer trans mask or trans masculine, mm-hmm. um, but I don't um, agree that I'm a man. Um, so for me, that's not quite right. But I think it, it, it takes quite a long time to figure stuff out, particularly because society kind of puts that pressure on you to kind of fit in a certain box. And, and obviously, you're tr- like, particularly as a trans person, you're trying to find where you do fit in and trying to be accepted. And the more kind of people that I met and the more trans people that I met and kind of spoke to about their story then I kind of realized that I could be different than than you know I was kind of expected to be and hmm. um, so yeah like non-binary is in there as well but I just kind of I like the word queer covers everything for me
2: ah okay so you, I think you've gone from trans man to trans mass to non-binary to queer so you've covered all bases then
1: really yeah I think queer queer is a good thing it kind of covers covers everything for me you know what I mean it, yeah. and then when you say you're queer I think people are kind of like yeah okay that's fine. That's, That's good. I mean. Rather than, it doesn't, doesn't open the doors so for all the questions are like, yeah, fair exactly. enough. <laughs>
2: yeah. And Rue, how, how would you say you identified then? Because I think you, I've heard you use the Q word before.
4: Yeah, I identify as queer as well. Um, I'm not trans. Um, I am a cis. But I think it should be important for cis people to kind of explore their gender as well. Because I think, first of all, it's interesting to explore your gender and you know see where you do fall. And second of all, that makes it less of a big deal when trans people do it. And hmm. I think it kind of opens up a lot of things for trans people to be able to do as well. If it's just a normal thing in society to question your gender or to explore your gender.
2: That's true. And to say that you are um, a straight cisgendered woman would not be accurate, would it really? because no, you know not. people might assume that if you were to walk down the street holding hands with Alfie, who's presenting as male, they might just think, oh, there goes another straight couple. But with grey yeah. hair, obviously,
1: <laughs> people always say to me and Rue that they think that I'm a gay man and she's a gay woman, yeah, just because, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like, obviously, I think people assume certain things, like, you know, I, I've got quite like camp kind of mannerisms, and I mean, like, Rue's not, you know, she's not a dress kind of girl and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so yeah, but people always say that they think that like, she's she's a gay woman, and I'm a gay man, which is um, <laughs> it's always forming, they're like, what. <laughs>
2: So just to say you're queer, it's just a lot easier, isn't it? Really, that's just yeah, definitely yeah. just tick that one, yeah. yeah. But did you ever identify as a as a gay woman then, Ruth?
4: Um, no, never. To be huh? honest, um, I've always like I've not always identified as queer. I think when I was younger, I identified as bisexual, which I wouldn't say suits me at all now. Um, oh. But yeah, I think I think queer is a good a good term.
2: Well, let's go back to or let's start with your love story, shall we? So. Tell us, Rue, when you first met Alfie and how, how that all, how the relationship
4: started, where and when were you? So we, I was in uni, well we were both in uni, were we?
1: Well I was starting my first year and you were going into your second. Yeah,
4: and um, I'd like mi- like made some friends in uni and stuff and we decided we were going to get a house together, um, you know, move out of our parents, move a bit closer to uni um so we found a really nice house and but we needed another person to move in like we needed an extra housemate so we just put like hmm. a call out um and it turns out that Alfie answered that call so we kind of met by moving in with each other really that was a lucky call to answer wasn't it, Alfie? i know
1: i know i know well it's because like the uni that i went to is really small so it didn't have halls or anything like that so i needed somewhere to live so yeah it's, it's quite it's definitely kind of like kismet that we met isn't it like, yeah
2: kismet i love that so at this stage, you were how old, Alfie and Ru? Uh
1: possibly. I like just just turned eighteen. I yeah, think oh, okay.
2: I was twenty. Mm-hmm. Twenty, yeah, yeah, a bit older. Yeah. So okay, oh, you're the older, more sensible <laughs> one, Rue, then, obviously. Um, but Alfie, what? That's so true. <laughs>
1: That's definitely true. Yeah.
2: So Alfie, where were you at eighteen? Then you'd just gone to university. Were you exploring your sexuality? Were you questioning your gender identity?
1: Um, So, at this stage, like, I thought I was a lesbian. I think it's it's kind of like getting out of my hometown and, like, um, you know, getting away from, like, my family situation and that kind of thing. Then I started to kind of realise that maybe something was different. And I guess, like, looking back, a lot of stuff makes sense. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. Um, But it wasn't until I kind of um, saw somebody was transmasculine that I was like, oh... That is possible. That is a thing. Like, I didn't even realise it was a thing, which sounds insane, but it's like, because I hadn't well, really seen anyone like that. It hadn't occurred can't, to me that You that's...
2: can't be what you can't experience or witness, I think, sometimes. Exactly, yeah. And was this exactly. someone you saw in the street or someone you met or someone you saw online?
1: I remember Googling, I think I'm a boy, and then it came up with all this stuff. Um, and I was like, this is a bit confusing. I know what's going on. Um, but I still didn't really kind of understand that, you know, I wanted to take testosterone and I wanted top, top surgery and stuff like that. I didn't quite know that um but then there was a show uh, on channel four called my Transsexual summer oh yeah which is which which looking back is slightly problematic but at the same time it was quite revolutionary um never really seen kind of that group of people like that together Hmm. um yeah and there was there was a couple of um trans mass guys in it that i kind of you know identified with i guess
2: and that was the first sort of thought process but you hadn't really verbalized it then i guess had you it was just sort of all going on internally right
1: yeah, so I mean, like I say, because I still wasn't, still didn't connect with it. I just still didn't know that's what was going on, if that made sense. So I, I kind mm. of knew, looking back, I knew, I know that's what was happening. It was very much like, not necessarily in denial. It's just I hadn't really made that connection yet.
2: Uh, okay. And meanwhile, you then moved into a house and with Rue and another mystery housemate and you suddenly thought, oh, I've got feelings for this person I'm living with, I'm guessing. and I'm guessing that was mutual.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well we actually like we met the first time when we were like signing the contract at the, the landlord's. Oh camp. my god! Yeah, and um
2: that's even more the stereotype of lesbians, isn't it? They normally move in after the <laughs> second date. You met, you moved in <laughs> before you'd even met.
1: Oh yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking like, mm, she's nice. <laughs> and, um, I hope you thought the same. Yeah, I, I guess did. you did. Yeah. I
4: thought you were kind of mysterious. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of
1: people say that. they think I'm a yeah. little, but like, is it in like an endearing way or was it like, yeah. Like,
4: you
2: yeah, know, oh, I kind of want to get to know this person. Okay, yeah. Oh, and how did how did the um, the flame get lit then?
1: I don't even really remember, to be honest. I think I think we were oh, students, obviously. Like... So
2: unromantic.
1: <laughs> I know, but like I mean, we were like you know, like I was a teenager still, and you know, you were kind of in your twenties because you were a bit older than me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we. I think it must have it must have been like a drunken night, really.
4: Yeah.
1: I remember like the first, like our, our housewarming. We threw like a little housewarming party. And I remember um, you got really, really drunk and I was really annoyed with it because I was going to, like, make the move.
4: So, you know, from my point of view, <laughs> he came with another girl. And I was like, oh, well, I've got no chance then, so I'm just going to do my own thing. So I just, I think we didn't work it out properly with each other. <laughs> we
1: hadn't even spoken about it, had we? We were just no. kind of like... And were you dating yeah.
4: someone else then, Alfie? Was this just a friend at the party?
1: It was just a friend. It was a friend who, who like, fancied me, though. So I think that's where it came in because I think they were a little bit all over me. Yeah, but it was not reciprocated. Ah, uh, you, you still got really drunk anyway, didn't you? Yeah,
2: you kindled the spark at some point. Then it did. It happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it, like there was a night where it was just like a spontaneous night. We were drinking again. <laughs> yeah, there was another night, and I think I just kissed you, didn't I? Yeah, we're, we're just on our own, and I just kissed you, and then maybe that's when you realized that I liked you. Yeah, was, I
4: think it was actually it was bonfire night, wasn't it? And we um we went to a fireworks show oh yeah and nearly died because there was a firework in a and
1: yeah. we had to run away yeah oh. so maybe that's what <laughs> it was the, like the threat of death that made us like come together
4: <laughs> wow well, that's always very
2: bonding isn't it that sort of experience <laughs> yes and at this stage then you you had these thoughts in the back of your head then alfred didn't you that um you were questioning your gender but you hadn't you weren't going to say that to someone you were just starting a relationship with i guess
1: yeah, I mean, it, it hadn't really something that I, I didn't want to really want to say it aloud anyway, because it was like, I didn't really know what I was feeling, didn't really know what I wanted, didn't really know, like, if it was real. Um, mm. I think a lot of the time, particularly trans people are like, oh, maybe it's just this, maybe it's just that. Um, mm. But the reality is, like, cis people don't question whether or not they're trans. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really want to say it aloud to myself, never mind, I kind I'm of the person at this stage.
2: And, Ru, did you suspect
4: that Alfie might be struggling with his gender identity at all? No, I don't think I did, actually. I think Mm. it just kind of came out of nowhere.
1: We kind of shocked though, when I came out to you.
4: I think I didn't know how to take it. I was just like, okay, sure, yeah, that's that's fine. (laughs) I accept you as you are. That's all good.
2: Well, we'll come on to that. But tell us how it happened, then, how you decided to finally come out for the first time. And I think, was Rue the first person you told?
1: Yeah, so I'd actually Mm. gone home for, like, the night or whatever so i'd actually gone back to my like, my hometown to see my friends and stuff like that <laughs> and i got drunk again <laughs> there's <laughs> a thing <theme> there. yeah. <laughs> yeah um and then i so i came home at like three o'clock in the morning but at this point rue like had insomnia a little bit so she didn't sleep very well at night so she was up on on facebook anyway and um and i saw that and i logged in obviously and i went on chat and i just sent her a message and i was like oh did i say i think i'm a boy or what did i yeah. say yeah I say that yeah um, and I didn't. I think uh, obviously the alcohol had kind of made me like you know less, um, you know I had less inhibitions and I was just like mm. didn't really care what she thought at this point. I mean I think it was still kind of scary saying it, but I was definitely had the Dutch courage to kind of push through <laughs> and get it done. Um, and yeah, she just kind of messaged me back like, okay, yeah, that's fine, um, which was a little bit underwhelming to be fair. I just saw yeah. this massive news
2: like, <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. That's not the answer I
4: wanted. I wanted more
2: drama.
1: Exactly. I think,
4: I think I remember um asking you, so what do you want to do about it? And he was like, um, nothing really at the minute. I don't really know.
1: Oh, is that what I said? Yeah. Oh, I don't even remember. It was so long ago as well. I
2: know at this stage how long how long had you known Alfie?
4: Oh god, it must only have been about three or four months.
1: I think it was less than that, about two months at yeah. One, yeah. it
2: was. Quite a short amount of time. Because I've had a lot of relationships the last two months. So that's the sort of pivotal moment, isn't it? When you're either going to make <laughs> it or break it or you split up. At any point, did you think, well, Alfie, you must have been scared sending, sending that message. That like, yeah, yeah. This, could, this could make us or break us.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I didn't really know what to think of it. And, and I don't think people talk about, especially then. I mean, it was like eight years ago. And mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like a long time. But in terms of, like, trans nursing culture, that's definitely you know, definitely come a long way. And it's, it's not really something people talked about. And even now people tell me they never met a trans person, whether or not that's true. So it wasn't like we'd talked about, it, you know, like it's not something that comes up. So I had no clue how she was going to react. Mm. But I remember like as soon as I got back the next day, or the next couple of days or whatever it was, and um, that's when I kind of first started to kind of like change things about my appearance or start to kind of make plans to change things. So, I mean, it was quite quite a, like... um yeah, like personal moment, it really was, yeah. isn't it? Like, you know, but yeah. I obviously felt comfortable enough with you to kind of do that. Yeah. I think it helped that I knew that you were bisexual as well. Even though, like, you told me you never like um, dated anyone that wasn't a woman, mm-hmm. I kind of felt a bit more comfortable with it.
2: Yeah. Well, because this is quite a big deal, isn't it? And I've spoken to quite a lot of older trans women who have lost their relationships because they've been um, married to a woman for years who is a straight woman. And they can't handle it. And, you know, that is that is a deal breaker for them. And, you know, I've spoken to lots of trans women who've, you know, really had a tough time of it. That's my experience. I haven't spoken to many um, trans men who've been in long-term relationships. But a lot of trans women have been married to women. And they split up. And it's just really, really tragic. You know, a lot of them have gone on to have new relationships and, and very happy lives. But that is always the fear, isn't it, I guess? That, you know, someone's attracted to you because... Of the gender you were and that they you could lose them
1: yeah and i think for me like because obviously i knew that my body was going to change and i knew that i wanted to look more masculine i knew that i wanted kind of like body hair and i wanted to kind of like um have a flat chest and stuff like that and mm. um, so I, I was worried that that would be kind of repulsive um mm. and that and that grew kind of like more femme people which which physically i didn't want to look like yeah and your voice um, would
4: change as well
1: exactly yeah mm-hmm. um so i mean we did chat about that a little bit didn't we
4: yeah yeah i remember you asking me like would you be okay with all this stuff and i was like of course i would you know you're still you at the end of the day i think that's
2: wonderful i think it's just such a beautiful love story But i mean was there any part of you that thought wow i i sort of was falling in love with this person and now i'm going to end up with a different person was there any part of you that just thought well that's going to be slightly confusing
4: not really I, th- I remember there was one time where he said I've been to the hairdressers and had like a proper like masculine haircut and I was like oh I hope he looks I hope he still looks okay <laughs> and I remember like panicking thinking oh god what if I don't fancy him anymore and then he came home and he would still look the same I was like yeah it's all good <laughs> that's fantastic
2: isn't it Alpha you must <laughs> just be the happiest man in the world I think really because it's it's all worked out hasn't it
1: yeah I mean um like I I feel good with kind of like how I look now and kind of you know all that kind of stuff um so it's nice that that we appreciates it with me.
2: So Alfie what was it like coming out to your family because you know that's that's something you have to do as a well you don't have to do as a trans person but it's it's you know if you want to have a relationship with them that's uh, meaningful you kind of have to don't you?
1: So um I kind of knew it was going to be difficult Um my mum in particular had said some things that you know would be considered transphobic uh, as I was growing up um and I don't think it because she is transphobic it's just like society was that way for a long time and still mm-hmm. is not in, in many respects but i knew it would be difficult um and what she said to me was um no it's not true you just you just you just want attention just want attention and then um it kind of took a couple of years to kind of um talk to her again properly and like we still kind of you know chatting and stuff but it was like there was definitely tension in the relationship because i knew she wasn't respecting the things i needed to needed it to respect was she it wasn't not
2: respecting it... your pronouns was she dead naming you yeah,
1: yeah exactly both of those things They're like the, the rest of my family were doing it as well but they were kind of doing it as if they thought i didn't know but it, you know it, when it gets to two years in and you're still using the wrong name it's kind of like you know i kind of know that you're not using it when mm. i'm not around and that's quite hurtful right definitely yeah um just because it's like you know you're supposed to kind of love me and I've told you that it's really hard thing for me to tell you and I actually really need your support right now. Um, and they kind of thought it was harder for them to change a word than it was for me to kind of go through what I was going through. So that that's that was why it was tough.
2: Ru, you were nodding there about how difficult it was. How did you react to Alfie really struggling with his family?
4: It was awful because um, he would kind of, I guess, dumb it down a little bit. Like, pretend it wasn't hurting as much as it Mm. was but i remember it made me so angry like and it still does whenever they do it like because they still like um, reference
1: my dead name a lot and stuff yeah reference
4: his dead name and like misgender him sometimes and i know that's that's only human but there's there's a limit to to where it ends um and it still makes me really angry and it did back then i just remember thinking like how can you claim to love somebody and then be okay with hurting them so much Mm. um so i know it made me really upset Mm. And I know that Alfie didn't want to show it as much because I think there's, like, this um, pressure for trans people to just wait for other people to come round to it or, like, not show how uncomfortable they are. And did you adapt um, straight away, then,
2: to, to using Alfie's name and the correct pronouns? Was Was that fairly yeah, easy for I, you?
1: I think it took you, like, two weeks. Yeah, it
4: was, it was easy, but, you know, I still got it wrong sometimes. Um, mm. And, I mean, to be honest, I get it wrong with, with cis people as well it's just one of those things that happens but yeah. um I, I did try my hardest and i hope like um from alfie's point of view it looked like i was trying my hardest as well
1: yeah because i was obviously going through it with you because for 18 years i you know internally called myself a different name and yeah. used different mm. pronouns and i think people get it does actually take the person themselves to so kind of adjust to yeah so what's going on well, as well exactly
2: it's not just a physical journey is it it's a very mental yeah. journey as well yeah absolutely. but in terms of the physical journey that was it was quite it was always, you know, people seem to be up in arms about the fact that oh, anyone can go to the doctors and change their genders really easily, and it's like the, the, the a total opposite to what happens in reality, isn't it? So wow. it was quite a while yeah. for you, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. So um for me, it was about a three-year wait to get to the gender clinic. Mm. um So that was kind of after I already knew what I wanted, and and I think as soon as I kind of realised that I was trans, I kind of knew exactly what I needed. So it was like a three-year wait. And then, um, but in that mean, in that t- time, after about a year and a half, I decided that I would try and save some money and, and go private and try and get a private testosterone prescription. You still have to go through loads and loads of stuff. You still have to go mm-hmm. through like multiple different um, psychological assessments. You still have to go through like counseling. You still have to like obviously be seen by a doctor, doctor. Um, so it was like, it's still not easy. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I got this testosterone and then, that kind of helped push the journey forward a little bit faster um, but I still had to ultimately wait for the gender clinic so it does take a long time.
2: It's um, a long way isn't it but are you happy mm. with um, where you are now?
1: Yeah I mean I still like some revision on my chest um, just because as my body's changed I've gained a bit of weight or lost a bit of weight and that kind of stuff my chest has changed shape but otherwise I'm really happy.
2: Mm. Yeah. Well you're always down the gym aren't you Well, you were? When, when you're yeah, allowed no, to go yeah. down the gym. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I, well, I've been back and it's it's good. Like, I think it's really good for my mental health in particular. But,
2: but just going back to the, to the misgendering, what advice would you have for people who, you know, just get it wrong every now and again, you know, out and about or on Zoom calls or whatever? Because it's something that cisgender people panic about, I think, quite a lot, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but I mean, it, like, the trans person will always know your intention, which is always far more important to mm. me. Um, like for example I've got um, an Italian friend who isn't great with pronouns regardless of your gender mm-hmm. um, and he messes it up quite a lot um, and he gets really really upset about it and I'm like no no it's alright like I, I know you're not doing it because you're misgendering me like I know what's going on you know like, I know you've just kind of slipped up with words which happens a lot and like we were saying like it happens in speech anyway and I think people are just more sensitive to it around trans people which is great it means that you're thinking about it but um, your intention is always the most important thing um, so if you do mess up just correct yourself straight away. That's that's literally it. And if if, if someone's saying actually that's not quite right, um, just be aware that they're not kind of having a go at you. They're just correcting you so that you, you know yeah. what it is.
2: Yeah. So apologize and move on and don't do it again. That's that's kind of exactly. My motto. Yeah. 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 And yeah, yeah. yeah. um, what about coming out at work? Is that something that you, you had to do? I mean, you were a student so, uh, to the, at the beginning, weren't you? But
1: yeah. So I, like I was. So I actually had to come out in uni as well. So it wasn't until so kind of like halfway through uni that i told uni what was going on um and so i sent i sent the relevant people the emails about it and they actually had to pull me in and say is this real and i was like yeah it's real <laughs> they're like oh just just checking it wasn't like a mate just doing a joke or whatever and i was like no it is real uh, but I, it was a really small uni like i say and then um, you know doing music production um kind of a lot of people were kind of already quite arty and quite kind of alternative so they kind of were very kind of receptive to it which was great um, but at, at the time, it, like it still wasn't the language wasn't quite there. Um, so I remember um, I had to go in for like a meeting with like the head of my department, and he said to me, um, he said, "Oh, I, I guess you've always known that you're trans, but for me that isn't true at all. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't until I was 18 anyway." But I was just kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean." I was like, "Oh, I'll just get through this meeting and leave." But they've actually been in contact with me. My uni have been in contact with me because they've had um, other people. Um, in more recent years kind of realised that they're trans and they've kind of been, needed support and stuff like that. So I've actually kind of gone back in to chat to people like me to kind of talk through my journey and kind of my experiences. So it's nice that kind of me being there paved the way for other people to be able to access support there.
2: That's brilliant. Um, and what was yeah. it like then in terms of the other students? Did they straight away get it and just start calling you Alfie or was it was it a bit Pretty gradual? much,
1: yeah. I mean, it, it took a bit longer. It took a few months. Um, but I guess it's because you're not with them all the time. Mm. Um but my kind of core group of friends there were like, you know, a lot of them are queer anyway. I think we all tend to gravitate together. <laughs> yeah. Um so so yeah, they, they kind of got it straight away. So it was it was pretty kind of easy, uh easy going in terms of, of that. So that was that was really, really helpful, particularly mm. because at the time I was experimenting a lot with kind of like my clothing and kind of like what I wanted to do with my hair, you know, different things. Um Still experimenting so yeah.
2: with that, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I don't think it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. It,
2: and Ruth, what about your friends and family? Did they support you, or
4: did they, you know, try and question it? What, 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 what was it like for you? I think they supported me a hundred percent from the start. Mm. Um, for both of us, for both of our coming out um, mm. stories, really. Yeah, they've always been really supportive and really open people. So, I don't think it was ever a question of whether they'd be supportive or not. Oh, okay. And it's
1: actually, actually, like so because obviously my family was struggling with it. Rue's family kind of stepped in a little bit. So it's like when I had surgery, for example, they came and picked me up. Because, mm-hmm. like, you've got to travel to where the surgeon is. But, yeah, yeah they came and picked me up instead because my family, obviously, didn't really want to be involved. So they were kind of a lot a lot more supportive Yeah, um, than my family were in the beginning.
2: Yeah, so your family didn't bat an eye when you came out as lesbian or bi. Um, and, you but know, presumably, you had to announce, you know, oh, by the way, my girlfriend is going to become my
4: boyfriend. I mean, that's quite a conversation to have with a parent, isn't it? It was another one of those that was just as simple as when Alfie came out to me, to be honest. It was just like, oh, by the way, um, this is his name. These are his pronouns. Mm-hmm. That's what he goes by now. <laughs> and then they were just like, okay, fair enough. Yeah.
2: Well, you sound like you've got pretty cool parents, really, because that's not yeah. the case for everybody, is it? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your parents are quite hippie, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: definitely. But they're jealous of your green hair.
4: my dad my dad actually saw it the other day he said he was going to dye his hair the same color (laughs) (laughs) i love your parents (laughs) that's right (laughs)
2: awesome
4: yeah so would you have any advice
2: for any other queer couples or any other people maybe questioning their gender identity alfie
1: um yeah i'd say if if you're kind of questioning you're worried about what your partner is going to kind of think you need to think about like being trans is quite selfish at at the kind of beginning stages So you need Mm. to know you like you can't go your life living the lie that you've been trying to live um so you need to just kind of bite the bullet and go for it um and ultimately um there'll still be love between you and your partner um regardless of whether or not you know it doesn't work out as a couple or whatever um but you kind of just need to go for it it's going to make you happy Mm. ultimately
2: Mm. And Rue, what advice would you have for, for someone supporting somebody going through a, a transition
4: and looking after them through it? I think I'd have pretty much the same advice. Like, I think it's important to be open and to be open minded, um, but like, think about what it is that you want and if you can support this person because you know there is a lot of work to mm-hmm. put into it and it's it's a lot of like selflessness to have to give to somebody. But it's also really rewarding as well. So you know, it's worth it to love somebody going through that, or mm. to support
1: somebody.
2: Well, I just love the fact you just said. You know, I just love Alfie. I just you love the person, don't you? It's not yeah. Well, whatever absolutely. else is going on is, is irrelevant to you.
1: And do you know, what? it rarely comes up that I'm trans now. Yeah. yeah, like it's only when we do things like this that we kind of talk about it. Or like yeah. we talk more about queerness than transness oh yeah. okay that's
2: interesting yeah. and the people start coming up to you and go oh, i've never met anyone trans and you have to go well you have because you're talking to me all the
1: time yeah, <laughs> yeah. i've had so like what? i've had transphobes come up to me and kind of talk to me and they talk to me and like in you know give me transphobic kind of like oh this and then i'm like so you, yeah i'm trans and like oh <laughs> and i'm like yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, my God. Well, that's it. And unfortunately, there is a big rise in transphobia. It's it's mm. it's pretty tough at the moment in the UK, I would say. There yeah. A, are you noticing that? That there's a bit of a rise in anti-trans sentiment?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, there's definitely a lot of that going on. But I feel like there is also a lot more acceptance. Um, I think just a lot of people with influence um, are a lot louder. Whereas, kind of culturally, mm. like day to day, you kind of meet people and say, oh, "I'm trans," and like, "Oh, cool, yeah," um, and maybe yeah, they want to ask some questions about it, they want to know a little bit about it. But for the most part, they're generally kind of like, "Yeah, that's that's really really cool." Like,
2: mm. I'm glad well,
1: I'm glad you said that with me.
2: That's good to hear because it's, it's obviously it's the noisy minority, isn't it? It's it's the noisy, exactly. angry minority that causes all the fuss. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah gosh um well before you go um where are we in terms of um any wedding bells do i need to buy a hat what's the score
4: do you know what as soon as we can get more than what is it more than 30 people 30 people outdoors at the minute i think it is yeah yeah as soon as we get past that and we go relatively back to normal you can buy a hat (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: yes this is going to be the queerest wedding in the uk oh it's always yes that's
1: why like 30 people is like not enough for all the queer people we want to invite yeah we want it to be like the like the queerest wedding that's ever happened oh tell
2: us tell us some of your plans then i feel like this is going to be epic
1: yeah
4: oh god we're just going to have so many different people there we're
2: going to go
1: on we're we're talking about eurovision themed wedding because like (laughs) We love Eurovision. Like yeah. as a couple, that's that's probably why we bonded. Yeah, It's
4: like <laughs> our Christmas. It is. It really so is. we Elsa, you that, are a is... gay man.
1: <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly right. I
1: know. I know.
4: I think I might be a gay man as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, we're going to have people who kind of like do like the wildest kind of like monster drag, to um, mm. so people who like like obviously my grandma will be there. Is like a devout Christian, <laughs> so it's going to be right. an eclectic mix. Yeah, so it's yeah. going to be great.
2: And of course, you're a musician. Um, performing Mm. under the name husk will you be performing at your own wedding
1: yeah i might serenade and like really embarrass her i think that'd be really fun (laughs) yeah she Um, would hate it
4: (laughs) would you though would you well uh, you know it might be all right
1: she'd smile like when people are watching and then when like behind closed doors like thump me
4: what are
2: you doing yeah (laughs) Oh, well, congratulations, guys. And I really hope I'm on the uh, wedding list and I can hit the dance floor and you play some good queer anthems for us. <laughs> oh, of
1: course. Eurovision playlist all night. Oh, yeah. f-
4: I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> you ready?
0: The Weekend Outing with Emma Goswell,
1: Virgin
2: Radio Pride. A massive thank you to Alfie and Rue uh, for joining me and sharing their story. One thing that really struck me, actually, is just how transient that's the wrong word yeah how not set in stone our sexualities or gender identities are so what's really interesting is I've interviewed Alfie a long time ago when he identified as a trans man he's in my book coming out stories identifying as a trans man Um, but then we had to make an alteration and say that Alfie actually identified as non-binary now identifying as trans mask so it just goes to show that just because you come out as one thing one day doesn't mean that you're not going to come out as something different another day or further down the line. It's not doesn't have to be set in stone, these things, does it? So it's just a really interesting example of that, I think. And also, Alpha made a really good point and quite a sad point, actually, about pronouns and how it's such a small thing that we all need to get right. And it can be so harmful and hurtful to people on the receiving end of wrong pronouns so you know it's sad that Alfie's family although they accept him they still get the pronouns wrong sometimes and this is years down the line and I actually was chatting to a guy last night and I hadn't met him before but he straight away um knew about my podcast knew about the book and wanted to talk about the fact that his child had just come out as trans and he said oh, I'm really struggling because sometimes I get the pronoun wrong and you know it's what well, I said well you know, at least you're trying, you know, at least you're aware of this, you know, I and mean, you've had years of calling this child by a certain gender and now they're asking to use a different name. You know, it, it's difficult for people, but at least he's coming from a place of love and is accepting and I've no doubt that his child will grow up to be a beautiful trans man or non-binary or whatever they want to identify as so yeah respect your pronouns people we all know that don't we right it is time now to shine a light on an lgbt organization that uh, you may or may not have heard of but they are doing great work in the community and we are all looking forward to a little bit later in the year Pride in Surrey. We're going to speak to their founder now, Stephen Ireland. Hi, Stephen, thanks so much for joining me. Hello. You were were the founder, how did did that come about? Was there nothing going on in Surrey and you thought, hang on, we need a Pride?
0: That's right, yeah. I mean, I've done uh, event hosting and comparing for a number of Prides over the years, and um, I was doing Euro Pride in Gothenburg that year in 2018. and me and my partner were just there like this is just crazy you know we've got a pride in london we've got a pride in oxford we've got a pride in mm. southampton but surrey is huge and surrey has such a diverse demographic um and there's no pride what's going on there's no gay bars nothing really what can we do um so we kind of just thought well well let's try and do it ourselves so in Gothenburg, um i decided that i was gonna contact all the press that were local in surrey and just say look i'm gonna do something And they all laughed at me and they said, no, never going to happen. People have tried it in the past. It's never going to happen. I said, well, you haven't met me. I've got to do it. Um, So, yeah, I was very stubborn and dug my heels in and and away I went.
2: That is surprising that it's so recent. I didn't realise. 2018, that's really recent history.
0: Yeah, I mean, we started the organisation in 2018 and the first Pride event happened on the 10th of August 2019. Um, so yeah really proud of what we've done and it's just because of the the fantastic work that me and my partner put in and and of course the amazing community that we've got that surround us and want it to happen
2: but there must have been a big need then I'm still surprised that there's no there must be gay bars I'm sure I mean I was born in Guildford I mean it was about a million years ago Um, so I was too young to check them out but I'm sure there was something in the 80s was is there nothing there?
0: There was, there was the Divas Bar, which um, two of our team, Kathy uh, and Maz, uh, are part of, um, and they ran that back in the day, but uh, that was the last standing one, and that got closed down uh, probably about 10 years ago now, um, and nothing has popped up since, but it's because of the high rents, um, mm. because of the, the fact that lots of people do complain. Uh, about it being an LGBTQ plus venue that unfortunately doesn't pop up because there's this whole stigma attached to the LGBT community. Even when we went to do a Pride event, so many people protested about uh, us having it in the particular park that we had it in Woking at the time, purely because they had this uh, stigma attached that LGBTQ people are all going to be having sex and, and, and taking drugs. And of course, that was something that we wanted to eradicate then and there.
2: This has absolutely blown my mind. I mean, this sounds like something from the nineteen sixties or something. That sort of attitude. I mean, you're like literally five minutes from London, aren't you? In Woking, how? Can it just, I'm just I'm almost speechless, Stephen.
0: It, it was, it was, it was crazy. The amount of people that we met that said, "Nope, this is not going to happen." Councillors, uh, official workers, and things. It just so happened that we managed to meet the right people at the right time to get that mm-hmm. and enough support to then get it into Woking. And Woking were. Uh, really supportive because they could see the benefit of being so connected to London Um, because obviously it's like you said, it's it's five minutes on a train, you know, it it really is. Um, So that felt like the natural place um, for it to be. And it worked really well. And and so many people came out in their thousands, 10,000 people in total, um, bringing, I think it was about 350,000 pounds into the city just on that day. Um, And then, you know, it grows after time.
2: Oh, I'm glad you proved those awful naysayers wrong. Um, But since then, I mean, you're not the thing with um, pride organisations. They don't just exist on one day of the year when we all have a big party. They're organisations 24-7, aren't they? And you're there to, you know, help the community and help um, allies. So what sort of work do you do the rest of the year when you're not doing a celebration?
0: That's right, Emma. So we decided on a motto to celebrate, educate, and connect the LGBT community and allies. And that was really important to us, ensuring nobody was left behind and ensuring that we recognize that intersectionality. So it was all about celebrating, obviously, the community, celebrating the amazing richness in our community as well through intersectionality. It was about educating not only the community on the services that were available to them in Surrey and the surrounding areas, but also educating those allies out there, because allies are really important for the LGBT community. Um, and then, obviously, um, it was about connecting. It was about connecting people to the relevant support because there were so many people that, unfortunately, were committing suicide, self-harmers, people that were struggling in the local area, and we did have a real big problem with that in 2018. Mm. Um, and also, connecting LGBTQ plus people to services to ensure that the services were listening to their voices, and that was really important. So the likes of Surrey Police, the Fire Brigade, they worked really collaboratively with us to ensure that they understood the importance of hiring lgbtq plus people to make their workforces more diverse which then in turn makes a positive impact in the local community yeah. and that so was what, really key
2: what sort of services are you linking people up to then is it sort of counseling services if you've got a young person comes to you and they're really struggling with their sexuality or their gender identity and they don't know where to turn where, where, where could you how do you support them and where do you, where do you put them to
0: that's right. So there's a number of charities here in Surrey. So we've got our own LGBTQ plus switchboard, which is Outline Surrey. Um, mm. There's also mental health organisations and organisations that support people through the likes of self-harm and uh, potentially them suicidal thoughts. So, again, mm. it's important that we understand that. So the likes of Mary Francis Trust Mind those organisations are catalysts, they're they're building services that are LGBTQ plus friendly. Um, And then it's just about making sure that we are familiar with any new services that pop up, ensuring that we're doing our um, homework, making sure that they've got the relevant safeguarding policies and things like that, because anyone can create a club, but actually do we want to signpost somebody to a club that hasn't been checked out? So we go out there as a team, we understand what them, uh, clubs and uh, organisations are doing. Um, and then we really kind of get into the roots of those. And it's great to see only this week uh, Divas uh, magazine with Linda. Um, they're obviously doing lots of Diva meetups. And this week, the first Diva meetup happened in Woking. So yeah. it's really important that we kind of understand it. And then we uh, support that and signpost people to it.
2: So incredible amount of work, really, then 24-7. And you've got a shop as well, haven't you?
0: that's right yeah so we we really knew uh, the importance of being visible we understood that 2020 many pride events couldn't happen mm. so we decided mid-year last year to see if we could open a shop as soon as shop spaces were available and that we could get into one um we managed to find one through the relevant government schemes that were available and we opened that pop-up shop and safe space and it's great because people are coming in for their first dates. people are coming <gasps> in to get their k- kids things and if you look at our tiktok actually um we've got three million likes um and followers now on our tiktok which is incredible and we're now delivering to the likes of america so places where they don't necessarily have access to uh, lgbtq plus merch we're sending stuff to them and it's just incredible to see that happening from a little place here in you know surrey so yeah we're just doing all we can to be visible and that's what i would say to anybody be visible be proud even if you're an ally
2: Mm, There's a lot going on in your website isn't there so you can access all of those um, bits of digital content can't you loads of really interesting videos and stuff so just remind people what the website is.
0: SurreyLGBTQPride.org.uk or PrideInSurrey.org.
2: PrideInSurrey.org that's probably easier
0: isn't it?
2: (laughs) PrideInSurrey.org and then before you go you must tell us what's happening um, in September it's your big event of the year isn't it?
0: That's it. So our big event uh, happening uh, in September, the end of September, Um, it's going to be incredible. We are going to be in Godalming on the uh, 25th of September. Um, And it's all about... um, this year again visibility we're going to do all we can to make sure that we follow government guidelines so whatever happens we will have something mm-hmm. um we've got a church next door that are having a wedding so congratulations to them in advance but we will work with them to make sure that they get some amazing uh, wedding photos um and we'll have the likes of our um patron belting her music out hazel dean and oh, well, uh, many more she's our patron um, she contacted us we've worked really well with her um, so we now call her auntie hazel oh. um, and, and funny story actually my mum was in a dance troupe pans people back in the day <gasps> no and way! i recall my mum dancing for hazel dean back in the 80s and of course then wow. meeting hazel but, you know, in 2018, 2019, it's quite funny because uh, I do recall her looking after me backstage one day.
4: <laughs> oh, my
2: God. Well, I'm old enough to remember Pan's people on Top of the Pops back in the day. I'd, I'd be starstruck if I met your mother.
0: Oh, no, but she doesn't look anything like she did then.
2: <laughs> Neither do any of us, darling. Don't we? <laughs> oh, but thank you so much for talking to me today, Stephen. And I'm very much looking forward to coming to Godalming on, what is it, September the 25th?
0: 25th, yeah, we look forward to seeing everybody there.
2: Fantastic. Party in Godalming. Bring it on.
0: Thanks very much, Emma.
2: Cheers for tuning in. This is Emma Goswell, and this has been my first weekend outing on Virgin Radio Pride. A big thank you to Stephen Ireland from Pride in Surrey for joining me. Now, if you are going to the main event in September, I'll see you there. I have promised to um, show up and host some of the main stage, so I'm really looking forward to that. If you've enjoyed the show, or even if you haven't, let me know what you thought of it. I am at Emma Goswell on Twitter. Maybe you've even got an LGBT organisation or a campaigner who isn't getting the recognition or regard that they should have. So let me know. Suggest some people. You never know. They could end up on one of my future shows because I will be back and I'll be back at seven o'clock next Sunday. Let's do it all again then.